If you're not, they're tennis players. Nadal. Nadal or, Mike, or Michael Jordan. I'm going to have to pause for a second. Michael Jordan. It's kind of like when you go get your eyes checked and you're looking through that big contraption and they say, number one or two. Is one clearer or two? Three or four? And I'm, you know, so he does this to me all the time. Would you rather meet the Pope or the President? That's a tough one. I mean, I know we're Seventh-day Adventists, but I kind of would like to meet the Pope too. So it, it's tough. So he, would you rather be blind or deaf? And I'm just like, neither. <laughs> and then he'll say, now you, now, you, now you do that to me. And I'm like, I'm not that, I'm not that creative. I'm just like, <laughs> so he just looks at me like, so I have to work hard to make that up for him. Another one is, would you rather be rich and die young or be poor and live forever? It's a tough one. I would ask this question this morning. Would you rather spend one day with God or would you rather live in eternal happiness with no pain, no suffering, no disease, nothing evil, but God is not there? That's a powerful question. Because I know in your mind you're saying, oh, I, I want to live one day with God. But the reality is this. I often hear people say that they can't wait for heaven. We've heard it. We probably have said it ourselves. Because I think what we're really saying when we say that we can't wait for heaven isn't so much that we want to be in the presence of God, is that sometimes life in this earth gets very difficult and heavy and the burden sometimes is too heavy for us to carry. And so we ask the question, would you rather spend one day with God and yet there is still all this bad stuff happening or would you rather live an eternal existence of peace, joy, and happiness but God isn't there? Now think about that question. Because if we lived in a perfect world like that, we wouldn't need God. If there was no evil, no pain, and no suffering, would we really need God? I'm asking these questions to provoke in your spirit. And if you're being offended, that's good because the Bible's supposed to offend us sometimes and, and it changes how we see God. But the reason I ask is, is because it's kind of a barometer of why you are motivated to believe in Jesus. Are you motivated to believe in Jesus because you just want rescue from this place that can be difficult? Or do you believe in Jesus because you value Jesus as an eternal friend? Those are two very different motivations. The one is selfish, I just need rescue, as difficult as life is. The other one is, no matter what life is like, I just want to have a relationship with Jesus. I think when we say that we can't wait for heaven, what we're really trying to say is we don't like the uncertainty of this world. So let me give you an example. It used to be, and this is for those of you who are more uh, advanced in age and wisdom, it used to be that if you worked your whole life at the age of 65-ish, you could retire and live off of your retirement. If you worked hard every single day, you might get a promotion you might get a raise. If you show up every day and do all that you're supposed to, then you're going to be able to retire, have the house that you want, the white picket fence, right? A one to two car garage, depending, right, where you live. But the idea was that if you did all of the right things, everything would be set up for you. 
And yet we find ourselves living in a world where that's not the case anymore. We, we live in a world where it's so uncertain, we don't like that. I don't think we like uncertainty. We don't like things to be changing all of the time, and yet that's the world we live in, rapidly changing society. And I often think that when we say, I can't wait for heaven, what we're saying is we want to be sure that when we say, I do, that it's for life. If you're a teenager and you're in high school, you want to know that when you go to school every day, there's not going to be the drama of what he said or she said. If you're a teenager and you're in school, you want to know that when you show up to school, there's not going to be a pop quiz because you forgot to do your homework the night before. We want certainty. We don't like uncertainty. And so what I would say is that when we say that we long for heaven, what we're really saying is that we cannot wait for a world where things will always be the same and will always be perfect. Not so much the same, but certain things that we can count on and where it will always be happiness, joy, and peace. Now, when we use words like that, what we kind of sense or begin to think about is heaven, right? Heaven will be the place where everything is as it should be. So let me break down another little bit of, of information here. Christianity, you and I, have been shaped, when we talk about heaven, we have been shaped by Greek philosophy. So Plato, now I'm not trying to bore you, so I'll keep this as short as possible, but this is exciting stuff for me. Plato, a student of Socrates, writes that there are two forms of reality. There is the material world, which is the world that we find ourselves in, right, where we, we, the, the world that we sense with our five senses, okay, the world we experience with what we can see, feel, touch, taste, or smell. And so he says, that's the world that we live in. He says, but this world is only a shadow of a more real, more perfect world. This is Greek philosophy before Jesus was even born, well, Jesus was born as, before Jesus was born as a human. Okay, let me get that straight. <laughs> but, but, but what you begin to see is that for Plato, he says, there is a world where everything is perfect as it should be, and here it's just a shadow of what that other reality is like. Do you begin to see how as Christians, we kind of begin to talk about heaven that way? So it's no wonder that when we find ourselves in this world, we're just like, man, I just want to get out of here to go to that other world, that other place. And yet what we find in the Scripture is that the Bible says very little about heaven or that other reality. What we find that the Bible talks more about life on this earth and what God wants for us in this earth than life after this age. And so we have been shaped by Greek philosophy, and so I would say that we must reclaim an ancient Hebrew understanding of the Scriptures the way they were supposed to be written. And so with that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to Psalm 84, verse 10. And the psalmist writes, for a day in your courts, talking about God, a day in the courts of God, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. This brings me back to the game that I play with my son. And so let me ask you another question. Would you rather be king, king or queen for a day? 
how do I have this written? Would you rather be a king or a queen for a day where you could do anything you wanted and have anything you wanted, or would you rather be a beggar in the house of the Lord? Think about it. Because to be a doorkeeper really was to be a beggar, to be a servant even, to just take what you could get. And what the psalmist was writing is he understood that he could have everything in the world, and as a matter of fact, David would ultimately be king. One of the greatest kings. We call him a man after God's own heart, even though he did a bunch of things that were against God's heart. And yet this man, who at one point pretty much had anything and everything he wanted, he says, I would rather be a beggar, a servant in the house of the Lord than to have all of the riches and everything that money could buy. I wonder if David understood something that we don't. Because for most of you who are sitting here, and myself included, I work and I have a retirement plan that, like most everybody else's, took a hit in the last couple of years. And I try to find ways to make sure that I can be provided for one day when I retire. My wife does the same thing. I'm planning ahead because I want to make sure that everything is taken care of. As children, we are taught by our parents or by the people who raised us, by, by our teachers, that we need to go to school and get good jobs so we can, I mean, to get a good education in order to get a good job so that we can be at least somewhat financially secure because in this world, apparently, everything revolves around money. And yet, what we find is that more than that, to have a relationship with God is much more valuable than all the money in the world. Money makes a lot of things easier, right? They say amen. I'm not, we're not praising money. I'm just saying, I know we have children. Money makes things easier. And there is a tendency for us to rely on that more than investing in a friendship and a relationship with Christ. Now, I'm not saying we all have to be poor and in poverty. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that we must have our, motiva our motivation straight for why we believe what we believe. I have a sense that for the psalmist, that David understood something that sometimes we miss in the world that we live in, where he would rather spend one day with God than a thousand elsewhere. He's not being literal. He's saying, give me one moment in the presence of God, and I will take that over anything else you could ever offer me. He said, I'll be a slave. I'll be a beggar in the house of the Lord. And so there's a word that I want to use about eternal. See, we use the word eternal all the time, like we can't wait for eternal life. And the word that the Bible writers use for that can be translated in all sorts of different ways, which is why we just use the word eternal, because they don't mean forever the way we think day after day after day, but it's, it's, it's the age to come that will last into all eternity. But in the Hebrew mindset, the word eternal isn't just about a measurement of time. It's about the intensity of the experience that transcends time. Let me repeat that. For the Bible writers, the word eternal is not about the measurement of time only, although it is about that, but it's about an intensity 
of experience that transcends all time, which is why we have memories of the most meaningful parts of our lives, and we still remember how that feels. How many of you have ever experienced something that was just so beautiful or it made you feel so good or whatever it was, and that feeling you had then, you still know what that feels like. It's, it's nostalgia even. And what happens when you've experienced something that was so amazing, what do we do as humans? We try to relive that. And so we invite the same people to the same place, and we try to recreate the same thing that happened, and we try to do all of this because we want to feel that way again because the feeling was so intense. And we can never do that again, right? We just have new experiences. For the Bible writers, they understood that the sense of eternal, they were able to live into that by having this relationship and this encounter with God. For them, they weren't so worried about what happens after this age because for them, it's like this is what we have right now. When the age to come comes, we will enjoy that too, but we're experiencing the age to come, eternal life with God. We're going to begin to experience that in every moment that we live. For David, when he says, I would rather spend one day in the courts of God than a thousand elsewhere, he understands that that is an eternal kind of feeling. I would say it this way, personally, if I had one encounter with God, that's it, I'm done. Like, that's good. I love my wife and I love my kids and I love all of you, okay? (laughs) But I could die happy knowing that I have been encountered by the one true God. You begin to see that that is a possibility for us today. Maybe not face-to-face. And I know work is hard. Life is, I mean, I know what it's like now for you to work all day long and you come home and you're exhausted and you have to make dinner or you have to do this. And, you know, life is completely busy. So I understand how difficult it is. And I appreciate how difficult it is to spend quality time with God. I understand that. And yet I I beg you, I encourage you, I challenge you, spend, if you're not spending any time, spend five minutes with God. And those five minutes every day will add up. And you'll begin to experience God in a new way. What the Bible writers talked about can also be found in John 17, verse 3. Where Jesus, this is Jesus, says, And this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Does he say this is eternal life, that you make it to the end? Does he say that eternal life is that you get saved and you go to heaven? Does Jesus, the Son of God, who himself is God, does Jesus say that eternal life is after the battle of Armageddon that actually doesn't happen? But is he saying that after all of that happens and all of the signs of the times and all of the scary stuff we sometimes hear in church about persecution, is he saying that eternal life is after that? Is he? Oh. See, because the good news of Jesus is that it's always good news. And what Jesus is saying is that you have this and you have this opportunity to live with this intensity of experience. And it can begin today. God will take care of eternity for us because we're finite beings. God will take care of that. I can't wait to see what eternity will be like. I can't. I I can't even grasp it. I don't think we're just going to be in meadows eating fruit. I highly doubt that that's what God plans for us, all right? Just thinking of God's 
how God is and what we see in Scripture, I doubt that's what God wants for us. I think there's so much bigger plans for what eternity will look like. I'm excited. But before I get there, I'm trying to make sure that every single day I work on my relationship with God because that will carry us into the eternal. And so Jesus says, hey, just get to know me, and I promise you I will not disappoint you. And we look at Psalm 34, and it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's not saying taste and make up your mind. The psalmist is confident that if we get a taste of God, we will know God is good. And there won't be need to taste any other things. And so I'm going to wrap up with Psalm 23, verse 6. And this is a psalm of confidence where David writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. He is talking about the presence that will lead into eternity. Remember this, this is a man who had an affair, got the woman pregnant, and then the baby dies. This is a man who sent that lady's husband to death in a battle. This is a man, this is David, who takes this wife of one of his most trusted generals, one of his most trusted warriors, and, God, and, and, and David decides to get rid of him. This is a man who had to learn a lot of things the hard way and had to repent of all that he had done. And yet he confidently says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Do you know what this, has, this message has for you and me today? That no matter the depth or the level of the sins that you have committed, no matter the depth or the level of evil you have committed, that no matter what you have done, the mercy and the goodness of God will follow you. That is good news. And when we come to the Scripture, it is good news because it is a story of who God is and how if we allow ourselves to be open to God, how God will work miraculous things in our lives. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he leads me down green pastures. And he makes me to lie down. He gives me peace. And even if God sets a table in the presence of our enemies or the most difficult situations in our lives that feel so insurmountable that we just want to give up, David says, but the Lord is my shepherd. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. So I don't care if I walk through the darkest valley through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't care what is coming my way for his rod and his staff give me hope and they deliver me. And he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever.
Will you pray with me? God, our hope this morning is that the words of David, who just like us was a sinner, a wretched person, and yet you still saw the best in him. And so my prayer this morning, Lord, is that we would claim this message of your mercy and of your goodness, that you would continue to interact with us and encounter us, that we would long for that one experience with you. God, we claim the message of Scripture that one day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. And so my prayer is that we would experience that eternal now, and that you would make yourself evident to us in a real way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.